Hello, I'm Aidan Gallagher. I'm Peter Reeves. Welcome to API, our integration podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to set the world to rights on various topics in the world of enterprise integration, and it scratches our collective itches as engineers who just want to uh, rant about enterprise IT over a cup of coffee. Or tea. Hello, Peter. Hello, Aidan. Hi, how are you? Uh, I'm good. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. Raring to go on our fourth episode of the season, and today we're going to be talking about documentation. Documentation. Documentation and how documentation has changed. We do a lot of documentation, don't we, as part of our day-to-day jobs, and I think this is a useful conversation to have about expectations as we move to cloud and start doing cloud-native applications and adopting agile delivery methods. All of these have had an effect on the expectation of how much documentation, what documentation looks like, and that's what we're going to discuss today. I would say that we probably have an adverse impression of documentation because of our roles. So probably quite often, me and you are brought in to do kind of design and architecture. And so we might not be as close to the actual doing as we would like to be. We're more close to the the, the governance and the design leadership, which would mean it's different. It's pros and cons. But an ongoing theme throughout this series has been us comparing the old world with the the new cloud provisioning world, and so I think that we're going to end up drawing conclusion, uh, drawing compromises between how things used to be and how things are now. Yeah. So when we're talking about documentation, we're talking about the things that we do, which is typically design documentation, operations documentation, run books. We're talking about documentation for application specifics. We're talking about DevOps deployments. We're talking about rollback and processes, et cetera, et cetera. So what, any and all documentation we're, we're talking around, but I think you and I will have a bias towards design documentation. What do we consider to be the minimum amount of documentation before you can, let's say before you can start deploying, suppose that you're on a new project and you're a typical pointy-haired manager and you just want to get things deployed and you just want to close things out. What do we consider to be the minimum amount of documentation before we can do that? Well, the minimum, which I think we've both seen happen and has to a degree worked, is none at all. (laughs) Yeah. You can get away with having no documentation, just sort of going gung-ho and, and just deploying what you think you want to deploy and thinking, well, we'll either document it later or actually whoever's supporting it will figure it out from what's deployed. Yeah, I think that there's often a, especially for especially for kind of greenfield cloud, there's often a tendency to think that you've got to be going fast, you've got to be doing move fast and break things, you've got to be removing anything that's not essential and that means no documentation. You're in full kind of proof of technology, proof of concept mode. And I feel that this is something that we see a lot. We see a lot of, we've made a, we've made a proof of concept and we love it. And now we need to take it forward and we're having strange growing pains. So there's an assumption there, isn't there, that if you're doing documentation, you're being slowed down. If you are spending the time documenting something, you aren't spending that time getting going. And there is a view, I think a a logical view, that if you wait until everything's documented, it's a little bit too late by then to actually get the stuff done. And Mm -hmm. part of that might be that we're expecting a lot quicker 
cadence in releases these days. Previously, in the old world, it would have been, okay, you get a new version every quarter, and then, you know, every couple of years, you'll get a big major version. Now there's a more expectation, there's more expectation that you'll get regular updates. You, th you think about your iPhone and apps on your iPhone, you get updates to them very regularly, uh, you know, sometimes every couple of days for some of my apps, and I'm like, no, stop it. The view is that documentation slows that down, and by the time you finish the documentation, that the world's moved on already. Now, obviously, that's dependent on the organisation because some organisations have some organisations I've worked with say everything has to be documented. There has to be a clear understanding. It has it is strict that all the documentation needs completing to a minute detail. That causes difficulties as well for those exact reasons. So there's been times when we've seen that. Product features have been deprecated by the time we actually go to deploy what we've designed because it's been taken so long. Or the time it takes to get approval for things means that any change you make, you have to go back through that approval process for the design. And that can sometimes mean people cut in governance corners because the governance process is so uh, ridiculous. I think there's a middle house. And if we're asking specifically where do we think the minimum is, I think you should have thought about the impact of the decisions that you make in today and how they might impact the world going forward. So for example, if I choose to if I to choose to use this data storage today, how easy will it be to change that in the future? And if the answer is not very easy, I probably need to put a bit more thought into it and, and maybe that will include a bit of documentation. There's one thing you said there that I want to pick up on, which was I think when you're alluding to the organizations that you work with, I happen to know that you typically work with uh, big big financial services companies who are probably more risk averse. They're, prob they're probably less move fast and break things and they're probably more softly, softly. I do think you're correct. And I think another thing that you touched on there was talking about documentation for thinking about the future. Because you're probably right, you don't, you don't, you probably don't really need documentation just as you deploy. It's probably fresh in everyone's heads. But really, it's almost like you're you're paying it forward. You're trying to ease organizational pressures further down the line, which is probably why documentation is such a can sometimes be such a hard sell because its benefits aren't really felt until rapidly in the future. Especially if you have different teams who are deploying and different teams who are supporting. I think is it the Etsy model where the team that build the application are entrusted to support it and in that case you you again this could go to is you what they've built it they don't need to document it but at the same time you could say well they need to doc they they know to document it because they feel the pressure of it but it does reduce the amount of times that you have to have the same conversations again and again there's been times when i've gone into a customer i've spoken to them about their specific needs and i've said oh well i would have done this and somebody's been able to quickly go to a a architectural decision and say well this is the reason we did that and then we have a quick look at the architectural decision, quick look to see if any of the the reasons for not going with a certain decision have been changed or, you know, was it a cost thing? Was it a support thing? Has any of that changed? And if it has changed, happy days, you can potentially do the other design decision that, that wasn't done at the time, the alternatives. If not, you can say, yes, okay, that still hasn't changed. But having that documented somewhere means that you can quickly go back to it and understand why the decision was made and not go through that same conversation again, going through the same thought streams and making the same decision again and again on repeat. So I think that's a that's a useful reason for doing documentation still that has real world benefits that 
you know everyone can sort of relate to. Yeah, I think that was that's probably quite a key thing you've touched on the whole documentation of architectural decisions and design decisions because I think when we were initially planning this episode I inevitably thought this is going to go into a or or we'd eventually touch on the whole idea of infrastructure as code declarative configuration your code is your documentation you can just look at your code and you can see what's deployed and I, I really hate it when people go down that route uh, one one because it only ever works with it only ever works with very small projects whenever someone gives you an example of infrastructure as code or declarative configuration it's only on really tiny projects because i know in the real world it always spirals into a horrible spaghetti monster type thing that you can't really look at all at once but the second thing is, un- unless unless someone is packing tons and tons of information into the comments in these YAMLs, declarative configuration only gives you the what. It doesn't give you the why things are deployed that way. It only tells you what has been deployed. Well, one of the ways around that is to say, I'm going to put, co- you know, if it's application code, you say, I'm just going to put loads of comments in there, and, and that will actually solve that problem, because the comments will explain why. But that's not always possible and mm. i'm not even sure it's always the best way so for example uh, we do a lot of cross team cross team deployment because we focus on integration we'll have teams that will will be integrating with lots of other different systems now we would understand the integration code but then somebody else wanting to understand say for example how to monitor the system or the security team wanting to know if, if it's secure enough for the the organization's needs they need to be able to come and look and understand it well enough. Now, comments in code, lots of different programs use different coding styles. They have different information, and it might not be accessible, the code comments uh, for some of those other teams that are accessing it. And actually, the information that you'd need in those comments possibly isn't even appropriate. Having those docu- that documentation that speaks to different levels, whether that's a deep technical document or a a high-level document that is a, this is everything you need to know as somebody who doesn't specialise in this in this product or this specific piece of information. I think that's uh, important as well. Documentation does work in that sense and just relying on the code to explain itself. That being said, things like infrastructure as code, so we'd see lots of YAML-based deployments these days for, say, for example, an operator on OpenShift. Uh, a lot of that is detailed in the configuration. A Docker file does do a lot of documentation for you. I do think that as code uh, deployment does reduce the amount of documentation you need, but it doesn't completely do away with the need for it. I, th- I think yes, Docker files are one thing, but how much of your sort of how much of like a project's corpus of knowledge is in Docker files? I still think it's a bit it's a, it's a bit risky to to kind of go all in on oh, we don't need documentation infrastructure as code declarative stuff i suppose as well in the if you're looking in comments you have to go through the entirety of the code in order to see the specifics so you'd have to read the entire docker file to understand how it all works and you might just want to know how a little piece of that works interested to hear from people who work day-to-day developing or supporting exist you know legacy applications and see what they think about that Aidan, in the notes, you've got a lot of stuff about architectural decisions and design decisions and when they are appropriate and how and how they are relevant to cloud architecture. We often see architectural decisions and uh, design decisions in documentation. 
and a lot of people say well what's the difference why why are we doing two and for me personally i'd say that architectural decisions relate to decisions that impact the system and all its connecting parts uh, so whether you know security monitoring logging the downstream database and how your system will impact other systems and you have architectural decisions in in a high level design and it's consumed by the enterprise at all levels and places so not just within your own team but then you have design decisions which are specific decisions based on how you've configured the product or the application or the code and they're in the LLD or the low level design and are much more technical decisions so for example why we've decided to use TLS 1.3 versus TLS 1.2 or why we can't use TLS 1.3 instead of using TLS 1.2. And that design decision is all about how it will impact the management and support of that application and the uh, sort of the impact it has on the development of that application and, and the day-to-day -day functioning of it. Whereas, like I said, architectural decisions are, are much more high level. They are things that, that will correspond to other parts of the enterprise or the organisation. And the follow-on from that is... Do we even need architectural decisions given we are in cloud? And again, you could, you could argue that the cloud architecture is the application. So, for example, if you've got um, an API management system, you could say, well, it's obvious what that does. It does API management. Uh, but a lot of tools have lots of functionality and can be used for multiple different capabilities. So some API management tools will do only routing. Some will do orchestration. Some of them you can probably do... Um, message translation and transformation and you can probably do integration with other downstream systems you could probably do some forms of file transfer within that so they're a lot more flexible and I think you still need architectural decisions in the cloud because you need to be able to understand what each of the systems are doing what they're responsible for which might be different and 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 and, and why they are doing what they're doing which is the which is the kind of the crux of the matter why we can't just do woo no documentation i think there's one kind of other point that i wanted to bring on to which was the role of how do i describe it the role of the technical specialist in the cloud provisioning landscape as in i believe i i think there's now a tendency for everyone to be uh, everyone to be a full stack developer and for I think you touched on it a little bit earlier the, the idea that uh, developers are going to own the applications and they're also going to be so they're going to be responsible for build and deploy and run and with this tendency of oh well that means like that means we're going to have uh, fewer requirements to do any kind of knowledge transfer and fewer requirements to do any handovers that means there's a tendency to say well, because I I don't need to document it because I'm going to be supporting it, or I think I'm going to, I don't I don't need to, I don't need to hand over anything because it's always going to be me that's doing the support. I think there's probably two points that I'd want to make here. One, and and I feel it's really bad form because you can't because uh, hyperlinks don't share very well on uh, on on podcasts. But um, there was a um, really old. Do you remember these uh, Master Foo? 
have you ever come across these like master foo stories from like really oldie worldy like uh, Unix fables? No. I've, I feel this is this is something that only maybe only I only I seem to come across, but it's like uh, it's like these these silly old hacker stories. And there's uh, basically I'll, I'll I'll leave it to listeners. I'll leave it to you to Google. You can go and Google master foo and the programming prodigy, which is a, a story about. Uh, which is like a little fable about an egotistical developer who's not bothered about kind of doing any kind of knowledge transfer or sharing code, sharing kind of understanding. That's one thing. That's a, that's a little funny for you to go and look up. The other was around, given that this kind of full-stack developer-type role is becoming a bit more common, I worry that maybe, therefore, stuff needs to be documented simply to sort of be able to facilitate working with other lines of business and to, uh, and to avoid... People kind of having an amorphous and good word, good word, <laughs> never-ending scope. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. So, are you are you saying that because full-stack developers are asked to know lots of different types of products, applications, stand, uh, standards, etc., etc., the documentation actually needs to be even clearer? It becomes even more important because you can't obviously have deep-level skills in everything. So you need to be able to quickly dip in and out of various different toolings. And the way to do that is by very clearly documenting what each of them is doing so that you can jump in and, and actually help fix it or make a change or whatever. I, th- I think I'm saying, uh, maybe I'm not saying it, but I think I'm trying to get at the point that when everyone's a full stack developer, everyone's meant to have sort of technically infinite scope. They can go and pick up anything and anyone anyone can have responsibility for anything and that means that things have to be uh, code components they have to be transient they have to be pickupable by anyone it's quite a um, a, a foolish opinion to hold to think that oh anyone can just oh my my work is perfect anyone can pick it up without any kind of context and i think that's probably the that's maybe one of the not the final frontier that's kind of like one of the final challenges is about making sure that what the 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 code and the components that you're bringing into an organization are able to be picked up and supported because you won't be there forever (laughs) basically a good example for me or my own personal experience is that when i i left the football simulation engine thing for a couple of uh, for a year or so i'd done some clean codes on it i'd reduced the functions down i'd made it as small as possible and I'd made it as self-descriptive as possible. But even then, I still needed a good couple of weeks to understand how it worked, doing it in my own personal time. But if I'd, if, I'd, if I'd written documentation, I would have understood where all the different pieces were. So I'm personally living my... Uh, I'm kicking myself. I'm doing that master thing where I'm saying my future self. So do go and look at the, at the, the, prod- the prodigy that... that Peter just mentioned because that was Ma- Master Foo and the programming prodigy. Exactly, it's just a little. It's just a little fun story. Yeah, yeah. and that 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 was me a, a, a few months ago. So, uh, I I do relate. The output. What we're trying to say here is that documentation is still good and it's still relevant. However, with some modern development practices like infrastructure as code, modern coding practices like clean code, lean enterprise, etc., we can potentially reduce the depth of some of the documentation that we do however it's it's very important to document still especially as we experiment and after initial pot 
because it reduces the amount of administrative time if you wait till after you've done those initial MVPs and POTs to wait until you've got something that works. Then you document it, then you make important decisions. And once you've proven that things will work, you can document it. And then that is the thing that's going to be supported. That's the thing that's going to be taken forward. That's the thing that's going to go through uh, a route to live. It's, it's going to be the statement of truth for years to come whilst this application grows and evolves. And that will reduce the time that it, you have to spend making the same decisions again, having the same conversations again. And for a new starter who comes in who has to debug your code in a few years, it's very important that the documentation is there because it's going to, one, massively help them to solve the issue. And two, you would want the same if you were moving on to a project where you'd have to support a, a pre-existing application too. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, is, is there any, any other points that you wanted to mention? Uh, not me, yourself? No, I think all I'd want to say is probably just a kind of everything in moderation type remark. Because I know that one of the reasons that people hate documentation is because they feel they've got to like put out reams of it. And I especially hate it when I see, I don't know, a uh, uh, like some kind of contract that says uh, you will write at least 20 pages of documentation on this system. And I just think, it's horrible. It just, just makes it un, an unattractive prospect for everyone. So I think I think I would just again say, everything in moderation, do what is necessary, and then maybe no more. Just so that, because some will always be necessary, but I think kind of try and avoid over-egging it. That's all I would say. Perfect. Okay, well, if you've got any thoughts yourself on document on documentation practices and you want to come and tell Peter and I that we're wrong, um, feel free to... Yeah, come to and get, say we're wrong. <laughs> feel free to get in touch. Lovely. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye.